I don't know if there's anything funny enough that's happened yet. Yeah, we need some funnies. I tried with that Deadpool bit, but that was lukewarm. We don't need it. We can not have Starring, if only I knew the name of the guy who played Luke Cage. Yeah, that's all. That's all that joke needed. Hey, was just like the name of the actor who played Luke Cage. That was it. That was the uh, yeah, the skeleton key that would unlock that joke for our audience at home. Sorry, Ben. When you say you're currently watching football, do you mean on that lap? Oh, Oh, Ben! You're a piece of shit. (laughs) You're out of control. That's it. I'm putting the preacher on. Turn it off when, when the show starts happening. For our listeners, Ben has the phone propped up against the inside of his DM screen <laughs> so we can't see it. Just watching the football. I'm going to be really upset in a year from now when it turns out that BMAX just been live streaming like old Matt Mercer videos and DMing us through an existing product. Yeah. I mean, also, spoilers, because you could just go watch the end of those Matt Mercer videos and see... That's true. Who Maleficus is and what's going yeah, yeah, on yeah. with all the, you know. I should have known Matt Mercificus. Yeah, it's right there. It's, it's, in, it's yeah. in the name. That joke was right there. So easy. Such low-hanging fruit. Such an easy connection to make, some would say. All I needed for that joke was the name of the guy oh, who plays God. Luke This is a tale of a strange and dangerous world, a world known as Carthus. This is an adventure full of magic, hardship, and ale. This is a tale about a world at war and the people who are forced to endure it. From the wounds of battle come three unlikely partners, trying to make sense of something much larger than themselves. But, more than any of that, this is a story about how to win loot and influence dragons. to you. I'm your oversized leprechaun dungeon master, Ben McAllister. I am the pride of Ireland, Jackson Newson. <laughs> I'm the little bit fucked for a nickname, Thomas Owen. <laughs> and I'm your good time, Grania. Very good. Bringing up the rear. Thank you guys for all falling in line behind my <laughs> stupid joke. This is, of course, How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons, a D&D 5e actual play for Curio. And I think we're just going to leave that one unexplained. What do you think? Should we, should well, we do a deep dive? I, I, think, I think we should get into it. The audience needs to know that that is our response to the way The Simpsons handled a poo. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Oh, Christ. T. <laughs> And it's great for me to say that as the only person without Irish blood to have just... Yeah. Um, I would love you to explain it because I don't understand it, so... Which oh, yeah. I asked about earlier and yeah, you were like, no. it's it was just a re- Yeah, it was just a reference to earlier when I edited our chat thread to be called Top oh, okay. of the HTW laid to you. For, for no reason other than that I, I was... I feel like it's 
kind of partly a callback to that time I realised I was bagging one of you for being Irish and all three yeah. of you were Irish. Yeah. It's true, it was that. No, it was just uh, me procrastinating doing any work this afternoon, so... Your science dollars at work, people. Yeah, exactly. I spent yeah. eight minutes fucking around on Facebook. Do you pay tax in Australia? <laughs> Stop. Eight minutes of my time today were unaccounted for. <laughs> Should we press on with... Yeah, let's let's just roll on ahead into a brighter future, please. Should we, should we begin that brighter future before we can move forward by looking back with a bit of a recap? Yeah. Yep. When we last left our heroes, they were on their way into Corin to meet up with Garrick, having completed their clandestine road trip from Forest's Edge. On arrival, the party observed some suspicious characters wearing grey linen clothing. Garrick had previously noticed the same people were watching him. Things seemed uncertain when the party was suddenly contacted by a sending stone by a mysterious new voice. The voice belonged to a man named Chiron, who claimed he would help our heroes escape their predicament. Shortly thereafter, a brawl erupted in the inn, and Garrick, Tresilia, Jody, and Duncan used it as cover to escape out the back door and into Chiron's waiting wagon. But not before Duncan knocked out the woman in grey and brought her along for the ride. Now on the road once more, the party learned from Chiron that he worked with Valeria's associates at the university, and that he would take them to a safe location known as Analor. Analor, it turned out, is a secret tunnel network underneath Carthus City, which Valeria's colleagues had co-opted for their use. On their way through the tunnels, the entire group was ambushed by strange subterranean creatures, including a basilisk. During the combat, Jody found himself locking eyes with the creature, and, after critically failing a constitution saving throw, he began to turn to stone. That brings us to right now. Um, so do you guys remember what's happening? You're in the middle of combat. This oh. is the combat where Duncan became Blind Tom, right? Yeah, yeah, that's where he lost his eyesight and also changed his name, that's right. <laughs> this is the combat where, at the end of it, Jody got turned to stone because he critically oh, failed. Shit, oh, shit, I forgot. True. Okay, so that's where we left off. Jody had just critically failed his con save, which we kind of decided means he turns quickly to stone. So the old Alpha Jodis is in a, in a world of hurt right now, <laughs> currently restrained. And Jackson, to that effect, I'm going to mute your microphone starting now. <laughs> so you can just come along for the ride for the next little while. Uh, but yeah, you guys all see this and probably regard it with uh, a lot of terror and horror. Did I did I manage to like get out a good pose at first? Or like is it like pretty shitty? Uh, go ahead and do a performance check for me. That will be a 12. Okay, uh, I think he's, like, just shocked. What? <laughs> I just realised you should... At least with a 12, he's not that dude from Pompeii jacking yeah, it as he's dies jerking off. Yeah. Uh, maybe that is a 12. Yeah, I think that's a 1. Well, maybe, <laughs> that, maybe that's a 20. It's a 1 or a 20. It kind of depends on your personality, I think. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, and that was the Basilisk's turn. Jody's next in the order, but he's a stone man. Uh, and then the next person to act is the Can large... Anything? He can't do anything. He's stone! Oh my god! He's, he's stone. He's yeah. a stone man. As soon as this occurs, as soon as Jody becomes stone, Chiron sees across the battlefield from where he's standing uh, and yells out, It's okay, if we kill it, we should be able to 
We should be able to fix it, but let's focus on this first. The next thing that happens is the large grey rhino-looking creature that's fighting Duncan lunges at him with its terrible, terrible claws, and... 11 probably doesn't hit your AC, does it? Sure doesn't. Yeah, so unfortunately that's that's all that happens from that one. It's the next one's turn, which is the one fighting Garrick and Chiron, uh, which lunges at them. Ooh, and you see it connect with Garrick, piercing through his armor with its powerful, powerful teeth. And uh, you see Garrick recoil as he takes... Oh man, that's a lot of damage. Kind of forgot how deadly these things were. It's actually some absolute clown tier rolls. Uh, so Garrick, you, you, you see him sort of yelp as he sustains a bit of damage, but uh, he's he's still standing and he's still still kicking. And then the next person to act is Professor Donkey Khan. You're engaged with one of these. Let me just give you a quick lay of the land, shall I? Uh, so there was a cart that you guys are on, which has the bounding gag Delena in it. Sort of in front of the cart, you've got Garrick and Kyron engaged with one of these large monsters. A little further up the channel is yourself and Drazilia engaged with another one of these things. Uh, and then around the corner is the now stone Jody standing before a basilisk. Mm. Uh, Jody is just like blazing so hard. <laughs> <laughs> Straight stone. Yeah, we missed 420, but this is our recompense. So Duncan, it's your turn. That's the lay of the land. What do you think Duncan does? Probably attacks the big thing in front of him, right? Um, look, Duncan's actually had a change in his philosophical viewpoint. He's going to try and talk it down. Oh, God. No, take the piss! He swings his sword! <laughs> <laughs> it's a low-intelligence creature, and it doesn't speak any languages, but you could try. I don't think I'm going to para-attack, because it's mm-hmm. big and tough. Does a 24 hit? Sure does. Does a 22 hit? Sure does. Cool. So... The first one deals 10 damage. Okay. And the second one deals 14 damage. Ooh, dang. Okay, so this large monstrosity that Duncan is currently engaged with begins to look a little woozy on its feet as his great sword rends two sickening gashes in its side. And the next person to act is Drazilia. Don't you get to hit again? He took both his attacks. But he landed them. That's Jody. Oh, you know, the guy wow. who's dead now. <laughs> remember Jody. Oh, such fun, f- fun time. At least you'll have like a statue to remember him by though. That's a good thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, if I look at this Jody statue, mm-hmm. can I tell how impervious he might be to fire damage? <laughs> He's, alright, um... <laughs> He's literally made of stone. Yeah. Um, so, so that's what you pretty? know. Pretty? Pretty impervious, yeah, you might say. I'm going to fireball him. Yeah, nice. Him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I nice. aim for Jody. Uh, I mean, don't aim for me specifically. That's a kind of spiteful, <laughs> I think. A yeah, Viking burial for Jody. <laughs> He's turned to stone. Just blow him up. Um... <laughs> Yeah, that's how Vikings did it, right? I believe I said in the last <laughs> episode... They're too far away. No, 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 that you'd be able to hit the Basilisk and Jody and the back of the large monster that you nice, guys are engaged yeah. with, but not the other monster. So go ahead. Uh, I guess i got to make deck saves, don't I? Uh, so this is the Basilisk's desk deck save. Hey, Jody, roll a deck save. <laughs> uh, yeah, Jody auto-fails. Um, the Basilisk fails the deck save. And this large thing, 16. What's your dex? What's your spell save DC? It's probably... Oh, 15 is the 15. DC. He passes the DC. So this large dude half. is only going to take half damage. But go ahead and roll your 8d6. Drazilia, seeing her compatriot turn to stone, decides to lash out. Hey, oh, I can do all at once. Yeah, nice. 8d6 roll. Whee! Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> Twenty-two. Thirty-three. Thirty-three is a decent chunk of damage as Drazilia sees her good pal Jody Mastana turn to stone and decides to rain fire mm. down upon the basilisk. The basilisk 
fucking is immolated and he melts, nice. falls to the floor of the tunnel in just charred cinders. Mm-hmm. You sure Watch. melted that ice cream. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like, that's uh, for Hermione. You also see the Jody statue looking <laughs> a little scorched, a little worse for wear. Maybe a few chips have come off the end, <laughs> the end pieces. Chunks um, of its flesh? <laughs> yeah, um, oh no. And uh, I just have the funniest idea. We could smash rock off the top of his head while he's unconscious and give him a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> And um, as long as we're careful, it won't take any brain. <laughs> Seems like a dangerous endeavour. I know a lot about rock, it's safe. Yeah, that's true. The uh, large rhino-type creature sort of seems to dodge out of the way of the worst of the flame and only takes some of the damage, but he's looking pretty woozy himself. In fact, he's starting to look sort of like he's stumbling a little bit as he tries to stand mm-hmm. in this corridor. Uh, the next person to act is... Chiron, who lashes out at this thing in front of him. Twice. Hitting it once uh, and dealing it. Reasonable damage. It looks like the thing kind of recoils as he stabs at it with his sword. And the next person is Garrick, who essentially does the same thing. Lashes out this other one of these uh, dudes. Oh! You see Garrick uh, swing his sword once and it glances off a claw on the side of this large uh, rhino-like creature's big feet. He lashes out again and you see it find very solid purchase uh, in the underarm, in a gap between the scales, and you see him really stick it in. You intuit that might be what's called a critical hit. Uh, <laughs> and the thing suitably recoils at the at the stab wound into its armpit. And the next person to act is the dead basilisk and the stone Jody. So then it's back around to the thing that's attacking Dun Khan. Man, the stone Jody is a good name for a band. Just putting it out there. <laughs> Does 20 hit you in the AC department, Duncan? It does. Okay. Well, I'm afraid that this thing's gonna bite you. Bite you nice and good with its big, crispy mouth. And that is unfortunately 30 damage. <gasps> <Ooh>. <laughs> oh Duncan feels probably a bone crunch uh, as this thing deals a sickening damage. <laughs> How's Duncan doing on HP? He's got sweet 19. Oof. I think that's the biggest hit we've had. Yeah, like, I mean, that was a pretty sizable hit right there. So, proceeding right along is the other one that is attacking Garrick, which you see lunge and bite Garrick, and again uh, manages to, to clamp down. So Garrick sort of has his arm exposed as he's just jabbed the sword into this thing's armpit, and it takes that opportunity to bite into that very arm. Yeah, you see Garrick recoil. He manages to, to yank his arm out of the thing's mouth, but it looks like broken. Uh, his arm sort of hanging limply from hanging the side. Hanging by a sinew. Yeah, yeah. And uh, ooh, I guess things are getting, getting a little dire over here, one man down in your party. Yeah, Jody's really the glue that holds, holds the team together. Good yeah, holds this whole operation together. I hope no one needs to be stabilised. Oh, God. Then it is, of course, Duncan's turn. Boom, boom. I am going to swing at this... The one that's in front of you. Maggoty beast. My two swings. Coming in hot. Proceed. Is a 15 going to hit? Unfortunately not. Is that the best of the two? No, it's not. Does a 16 hit with the other one? No, the 16 does not hit. Dance. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to action surge. Oh, nice. Oh, Professor Khan. Khan Academy. 17 and 19 flat rolls plus 8 on each of those bad boys. We're mm. looking at 27 and 
25. Both of those are hits. I thought so, good sir. I okay. feel like I got this bad boy in the bag. I just okay. got a good feeling. I can, yeah. I can smell its blood in the air. It's going to yeah. go down. Yeah, yeah. so, so Duncan in rage. Wait, I just rolled two sixes, okay? So the first the first hit is 16 damage. Yeah, nice. And the second hit, feel free to tell me if this is just me clawing its corpse to pieces. This is now you clawing its corpse <laughs> Is another 12 damage straight into its corpse. Jesus, those yeah. are big hits. Okay, so, so Duncan, enraged by this bite on his thick dwarven frame, decides to uh, lunge out. His sword glances away twice. He sort of bears down, grits his jaw, and then uh, lunges again twice with an extra reserve of energy, sinking into the flesh both times, dealing a considerable amount of damage. What occurred to me is the absurdity of my attempt to save time in that I, what I should have done is hit it once, killed it, then run over and hit the other It's thing. true, that is what you should have done. <laughs> <laughs> it's far too late for sure. Oh shit, sure. I forgot there's another one. Too busy role-playing to save Garrick. <laughs> it's true. That puts that one of these boys uh, firmly in the dirt, along with the basilisk. The only threat left to you is this remaining rhino boy. Have we and, had any hits? I can't remember. Well, you guys haven't hit it, but Chiron and Garrick have both hit it a couple times. We're gonna log another Garrick death on the birds. Yeah, yeah, get, yeah, him, yeah. get him back on there. I need Garrick to go down before, while you're unwell, Jody, so that he really goes down. Oh yeah, and break my fucking heart? Oh god. <laughs> so, Druzzy, it's your turn. I had a feeling. What comes next? How does this gentleman look to me? This tubular man. Uh, <laughs> pretty, pretty handsome? Yeah, I'd say so. He's definitely Jazzy style. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Got a big mouth on him. Okay. Um, <laughs> he, he looks all right. He's not, he's not looking too woozy. Yeah, okay. Um, I Ray of Frost Jackson. No. Um, nice. <laughs> I'm going to... I might as well just do another fireball. <laughs> Nice. I love a good fireball. So another fireball for this boy? Yes, I'll say you can direct it in such a way. I suppose we don't know whether it's a boy or a girl. I don't know how you would really tell. Seeing as this a large monstrosity. With the Hit this. It's not a person either, would no. it? Thing. Monstrosity yeah, will do. Monstrosity. Uh, so it's going to take a deck save. <coughs> Bad news. Also sort of seems to dart out of the way a little bit. Oh, but go ahead and roll your 8d6s. It's only a 25 this time. Okay, so he only takes half of that damage. Then we got the Basilisk. Then we got the Jody. Then we got the Dead Boy. Now... Oh, no, we've got, <laughs> we've got Chiron and Garrick before any of that happens. Chiron lunges out twice with his sword. Ooh, both times he finds purchase. Nice. Uh, and you see the thing recoil as it takes some damage. And then Garrick gets his turn to take two swipes into the hide of this horrifying beast. He hits it... One of those times deals an additional bit of damage with so yeah he he misses with one of them because his arm's fucking broken and hanging from his shoulder sort of partially limp but he does manage to hit it with his second desperate flail and now you see this thing looking pretty under the weather about bloody time yeah it's taken a lot of stabs and a little bit of fire but it's starting to look a little bit weary and a little bit woozy but the next thing it does is bite at the very vulnerable looking Garrick. It does hit him. <laughs> and uh, look, I'm going to roll these dice, but I'm pretty sure the old pal Garrick's going to be in a bit of trouble after this bite that, that lands on him. Uh, okay. Oh, that was a one. Oh, two ones out of the rolls. So looking okay for him. Uh, 
Oh, not much health is he on? Yeah, no. Unfortunately, uh, this thing bites down on Garrick at the shoulder after Garrick stabs him uh, one time, rendering him pretty pretty out on his feet. And as the guy retracts, as this large rhino retracts from his bite, Garrick crumples to the ground. Uh, he is now unconscious and dying. But the next person to act is Duncan. You've got this one rhino boy in front of you. He's looking pretty weak. I feel pretty bad about the jokes I made. <laughs> so I'm going to kill this thing and I'm going to swing one at a time. Just because yes. now that it doesn't matter, I'm anxious somehow it will. Yeah, nice. So I'm going to hustle over to it and make my first attack. I am actually going to... Yeah, I'm just going to attack it normally because I think the AC is pretty decent. Does 22 hit. It sure does. Okay, that will deal... Rerolling that one. Oh, still a one. Uh, 11 damage. <laughs> He's looking pretty rough. Duncan attacks it from behind. After seeing his old battle brother Garrick crumble to the ground, he charges over and slices into its butt with his greatsword. And... Now I attack it again. Go ahead. That's a three. Uh. Yep. And I only get one action surge a day. <laughs> <laughs> That's a miss. That's a miss. Unfortunately, uh, in your in your battle rage with your own weakened state, uh, you miss him with your second swipe. But Drazilia has a turn to turn things around. Okay, I'm gonna. Don't blow me up. <laughs> I'm out um, of control. He's looking very. He's looking very weak. Well, I'll just hit him with a magic missile then. Seems like a reasonable <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> Go ahead and do your three d four plus yep. three. Four on the first. Nice. Five. Nine. Uh, Twelve. Okay. Brazilia decides she's going to put things to rights here. She quickly conjures three darts of magical energy, sends them flying across into the gash in this thing's butt that Duncan made with his sword. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it sort of howls a little bit as it's stuck from behind and then crumbles down onto the onto the floor of the tunnel itself. You're out of combat. Brazilia's uh, still got her movement, but she's used her action, which means Chiron gets a chance to try and stabilise Garrick before Garrick has to take his first death save. Let's see how that goes. One, this one, 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 one. You boys. Oh, here we Dude, go. It's a one. It's a, oh. it's a 16 plus Chiron's medicine skill, uh, which means that Chiron is able to stabilize the now unconscious Garrick. Nobody uh, ever tell Garrick how many jokes I made about wanting him to die. <laughs> <laughs> so quick recap here. We got a stone Jody, a bound and gagged, but conscious Elena, uh, and an unconscious but stable Garrick with a sort of broken arm and uh, yeah, pretty, pretty close to death. Death's door, a couple of dead rhino boys, and a dead charred basilisk. In the aftermath of this, Chiron takes some deep breaths and sort of surveys the scene and says, And I said basilisks are reasonably commonplace in these tunnels, but these things? And he sort of kicks at the side of one of these large rhino type sort of... I've been calling them rhinos. They're kind of like rhino worms. I mean, they're, they're, they're bullets, if uh, you're interested. Like rhino sharks? Yeah, kind of like land sharks. I said, anybody ever, did anybody ever watch that cartoon Street Sharks? Yeah! <laughs> These are street sharks. I'm That's what they so are. glad everyone watched street sharks. They're like giant street sharks. Oh, remind me to bring my street shark childhood toys in yeah, to look at next well. episode. I have some as well. Oh, next episode, we big battle. Next episode, we yeah. play D and D. We're gonna play street sharks. When my brother was four, he had his tonsils out and he was like nice. in hospital, and my parents got him a street shark toy <laughs> as like 
get Will Smith present and it freaked him out. Oh, he no. like couldn't look at it. It's a scary boy. They've got those big mouths. They do have yeah. big mouths. <laughs> I thought Brazilian was into. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So, in addition to Street Sharks, what about Biker Mice from Mars? Yeah, that Is was that lit. Whatever, yeah? Nah, Dude, not right. Let me try one more. What about SWAT Cats? What anybody the else fuck? Ever, anybody else ever watch... That, that is not a thing. Dude, SWAT the degrees cats? Made of that niche you just, like, ran through yeah. there. Like, <laughs> SWAT Cats? What yeah. the fuck is that? SWAT Cats was a cartoon, man. It was awesome. No, SWAT, you, SWAT you've cats, invented this. SWAT Cats the Radical Squadron? Show me was, a photo. Okay. I don't believe you. This isn't real. Here's the oh, Wikipedia article no, for SWAT cats, the Radical Squadron. No, it was a, it no. was a cartoon, like a Saturday morning cartoon about these two cats. Don't who believe. Were brothers, and they were also SWAT team members. Two brothers. Yeah, two cat Man, brothers. This is fucking ridiculous. This whole yeah, thing. Chance. Maybe they weren't brothers. Chance T-Bone Furlong and Jake Razor Clawson were members of Mega Cat City's paramilitary law enforcement agency known as the Enforcers. T-Bone Furlong. Like, oh yeah. my god. What a nice little mid-episode interlude that I'm sure is all going to make the cut. I actually think someone will. Hey, if you ever watched, if you ever watched SWAT Cats, tweet, tweet at me and we'll talk about SWAT Cats. Just one second. Just have to buy the DVD box set of SWAT Cats <laughs> on Amazon. Oh my god. <laughs> they should reboot it. Then you can do a SWAT Cats SI. You know what I bought today, Benno? What? Rothfuss number two. Oh shit! In yeah. paperback form? Yeah, I found oh, it. Oh, crazy, I'm so pleased. I'm still working my way through Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> Rothfuss number two, as in the sex book? Yeah, the sex yeah, book. The yeah, sex that's book. Sex yeah, the sex book. Sexy elf. It's literally the second most culturally important sex book after Kama Sutra. What about uh, Secret Diaries of a Call Girl? Probably I don't know if that is that. culturally a landmark in the way that... I mean, that... Billy, Billy Piper was in the, the TV version <laughs> of that show. Like, that's like... Yeah, dude, so Billy Piper. Piper. You can't ignore the pipe. <laughs> yeah. You can't <laughs> ignore the pipe. Dude, are you sleeping on the pipe right now? Dude, you're not sleeping on the pipe, are you? Dude, come on, the pipe. Dude, eat the pipe. Come I... on, man. <laughs> <laughs> we, killed, we killed Grace Holy with that one. Shit. Okay, we have to move on with this show. Uh, <laughs> Let's play more D&D and less Street Sharks. So Kyron, yeah, he, he, he's sort of kicking aside these things. He's saying, we, uh, we don't see these things too often and uh, oof, never seen two at once before. That was challenging. Uh, don't worry too much about Jody. I think we should be able to uh, get some of the... Uh, and then he, he glances over at the charred, sizzled oh, corpse no. of the basilisk and says... Oh, uh, oh. see, ordinarily we just kind of <laughs> s- scrape some of the throat lining out and then we use that to make a poultice of sorts, but uh, we'll uh, we'll see what happens here. So yeah, that is actually a D&D mechanic, because the thing yeah. is, basilisks turn stuff to stone and then they eat them, because they can eat rocks, and then in their throat, the like lining of their throat converts the stone <laughs> back into flesh for them to consume. Let's so you see. can like kill a basilisk, like, tear out like its throat meat and use it to turn shit back into flesh. But uh, yeah, that's, that's not going to be, that's not going to be readily achievable right now, because he's... Cinders. He says, okay, uh, you can sort of hear him getting a little more nervous. And he's like, I, I think this will, this should be okay. I'm pretty sure Alvar keeps a, a stock of, um, uh, uh, he's got a pretty adequate toolkit for, for dealing with things like this. So let's, uh, let's just press on, shall we? I guess we'll have to 
tote Jody around with us, and uh, also the unconscious Garrick. And, uh, Just chuck him in the wagon. Yeah. We need a tote bag for him. Heaps of bloody space back there. Yeah. Um, you guys can load up the cart. With, File uh, down the back sides, mate. Why am I flat? With unconscious Garrick and stone Jody. Do you think you can like lash Jody to the front like a figurehead piece, maybe? Like on a like on a, on a oh, yeah. So that if we crash, he shatters and can never be repaired. <laughs> Jesus. All the king's horses and all the king's men. Okay. You then spend a few minutes sort of clearing the path. You need to drag these corpses of these large rhino things off the railroad tracks, and then on you can proceed. As you guys are, are trekking along through the tunnels, with this lantern still on the front of the cart, you've still got Chiron sort of pumping the thing that, that allows them to move forwards, and now it's just the two of you who are awake and conscious and not bound and gagged inside the cart. It's, it's not a good vibe in the tunnels at the moment, but you can see that Chiron is working hard, despite the fact that he's a little bit injured. Uh, he's pumping hard away to try and get wherever you're going as quick as he can. And after probably an additional, I'm going to say half an hour, 40 minutes of trekking along in the cart, you sort of hear him exhale a sigh of relief and uh, slowly sort of pull the thing to the to a stop. And as you look around, you probably notice something that Jody would have noticed a lot sooner uh, with his keen <laughs> perceptive eyes, but that you guys are able to, to, to see eventually. Set sort of uh, quite stealthily into one of the walls, the wall on the right-hand side of the railroad track, is a metallic panel, almost the exact same colour as the uh, stone walls of the passage that the minecart has been travelling through. You see Chiron sort of relax a little bit and he says I think we're going to be safe uh, this is this is it guys this is this is Analor last stop everybody out so uh, I'm going to go knock on the back door there as it were and uh, hopefully someone's at home he, he gets out of the cart and he walks over and he sort of rummages through his pack and he, he picks up something that you can't see that's kind of obscured in his hands and he sort of waves it in front of the door and you sort of hear this sort of quite muted single note ring out kind of like a metallic wing I'll, I'll, I'll put something in your post. Uh, so he passes uh, this thing over the door and then sort of stands there anxiously for a few minutes until you hear mechanisms that you can't see rumble to life and this metallic plate that's almost the exact same colour as the stone walls slowly starts to sort of recess out of the tunnel into the wall and then slide away to one side. As the panel slides out of the way, you see beyond a more finely cut stone corridor. It's also much more warmly lit than the tunnel that you've been traveling through so far. Probably the most interesting thing that you note about this tunnel is the human man who is standing on the opposite side, wearing loose, comfortable, scholarly robes, holding a little metallic disc aloft in his hand. Uh, he sees you all and his eyes fix upon you and he says, Welcome to Analor! Oh, man, Jody would love to make some jokes about this. God damn it. As soon as this character has, has said that to you, Chiron says, Alva, thank you for letting us in, but we have to move quickly. We have an unconscious and wounded Garrick here and a, one of our new friends as well. And he kind of just indicates the stone Jody sitting in the cart, at which point the man you now know to be Alvar says, Oh, oh my, okay, um, uh, let's get some help and get them in as quick as we can. And Chiron starts unloading Garrick's body, and I guess you guys start unloading Jody and Elena. And a few sort of seconds later, some more people come pouring out, a young man and a young woman, and they sort of help you unload everything and trek into these tunnels. I'm getting such a vibe of, like, the battle with the Nazgul, and then rushing Frodo to uh, River... <laughs> Not Riverdale, what is it? R Rivendale? Rivendell. Yeah, totally. So uh, you guys have now entered Analor. Any observations, questions, comments to make? I just I just can't stop thinking about the weird sound Frodo makes when he gets stabbed. 
By the Witch King. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Witch King. Oh, uh, no, nah, but um, keeping in our own mythology, what do I know about the rocks? <laughs> okay, fine. 20! A natural 20! Okay. 20! Okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. Well, as I said, it was more finely cut than the minecart tunnels, which appeared a bit rougher. I would say, Duncan, you could tell with that very, very good observation about the stonework that this section was initially roughly cut and then later given some sort of fine attention to detail to turn it into a nice smooth stone corridor. But definitely cut in the same style as other sort of Sine-related constructions that you've come across. Without further ado, I'm going to say you guys are kind of sort of bundled into this tunnel network, unless anyone has any observations. Is uh, Jody also finely cut. I mean, what, what what are Jody's strength and, and charisma scores, Jacko? Oh, that's that's unfair. I think we've established that... Leave, uh, leave charisma know. out of it. It's strength and con. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's a pretty lithe boy. You know, kind of yeah. like the fish man from um, Shape of Water. Um, <laughs> better, <laughs> I was uh, like Brad Pitt from references. Fight Club. But <laughs> Can I pull out Valeria's notebook and have a little look on the sly? Yeah, okay. You want to you want to decidedly have a look on the slide? Yeah, You're I don't want to just like stealthily look whip out it. something that okay. I assume they might recognize. Take a stealth check. Oh. Yeah, it's a flat fifteen. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll say with that flat fifteen, you're able to kind of pull the, the book out of your bag, and, and nobody really pays too much attention because they're sort of preoccupied with unloading these unconscious and restrained people. What are you, what are you looking for? You trying to flick like leaf through the book? Yeah, just looking for new stuff. Okay, nothing that new. I mean, there was already the section on Law that you saw last time. Yeah. There's a new section that doesn't have any more information revealed in it just yet, but has a header that says, for Alvar, colon, and then the page beneath it is blank. Nice. Okay, tell me this. Am I getting a magical vibe from this place? From this place? Yeah. Uh, not really, no. Okay. Yeah. Not like, not decidedly. Unless anyone else has anything they'd like to do or ask quickly, I'm going to say you guys are sort of bundled down this corridor, you take a hard right, your whole group, and then you're up sort of a slight incline, and now you're in a nice, reasonably comfortably appointed chamber. There's a large wooden table in the centre, kind of looks like a sort of meeting or common area, and a number of comfortable looking chairs around it. The unconscious and captive and stone are laid out <laughs> on this large table in reasonably short order, and uh, quickly this young man and woman start tending to Garrick's wounds, wrapping bandages around them and sort of disappearing into a little corridor off on the side of the room and coming back with various salves and ointments to try and uh, speed his recovery along. Alvar is standing there with Chiron and you two above the... You two! Yeah, you two's there, dude. Bono's there, the edge. Uh, I don't know the rest of their oh, names. Man. Does anybody? Get, get in a place Sunday, bloody Sunday. That'll that'll uh, shake me out of my petrification. Yeah, Ooh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's Irish theme. Yeah, exactly. that's true. I must admit, I, I I imagine Jody would be pretty disappointed. Not that he would know, but like that there was no like hand solo vibes from anyone in the party. Even Chiron, maybe, maybe he felt an, an affinity. But uh, you know, everyone sort of seemed pretty. Not super fussed when you, you when your boy got turned to stone. There was no spontaneous "I love you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that would be nice, you know. From like... Well, Garrick was Garrick was very quickly knocked out. Ah, alas, I guess we'll never know. I can only do so much. Alvar is standing there with Karen. He says, uh, "Don't worry. Um, oh, I should be able to figure something out. Uh, did you not bring some of the basilisk's throat?" Karen uh, sort of sheepishly glances at Jazilia and says, "Uh, no. Uh, unfortunately, that wasn't that wasn't possible, Alvar." Alvar says, oh, okay then, uh, give me a moment. And he calls out, Lane! And disappears back down the ramp that you guys have, uh, have just come up. And you sort of hear him pottering about in a, through a few cupboards and stuff off a further side corridor. You guys are just kind of standing around in the room for a few minutes. What do you, what do you think you do? 
Well, Drazilia is trying to shift blame in some way or other. I yeah. Think. <laughs> how, how does she go about that? Do you want to quickly teach me how to cast Fireball? <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's me, your friendly dungeon master, just checking in on you in the middle of the show as always. Thank you so much for listening to Chapter 22. You haven't heard it yet, but there are tons of things coming in the back end of this episode that I've been sitting on for ages, so I really hope you enjoy it. I'm going to have to dispense with the rest of the usual mid-roll because I have a really crazy and exciting announcement to make. We're going to be doing our first live podcast in, like, a week. Isn't that nuts? We'll be performing a live episode of HCW Laid at Lazy Susan's Comedy Den upstairs at the Brisbane Hotel in our hometown of Perth, West Australia. The show's going to start at 6.30pm on Sunday the 13th of March. It's all a bit whirlwind, but you can find more information on our Facebook page, Curio Network, our Twitter, at Curio Network, and at HTWLaid, or on our website, www.curionetwork.com. We're really excited and extremely nervous about this. It's going to be lots of fun and extremely scary. Uh, we're going to make it something non-canonical outside the regular story, like the Christmas and Halloween specials, so it'll be perfectly accessible for people who've never listened to the show before, if you've got anyone you think might enjoy it. So if you live in Perth, please come on down and show us some love. We'll definitely hang out and have drinks with everyone afterwards. It's going to be a lot of fun. We really don't know what to expect, so come experience it with us. Anyway, thanks as always for listening. Check out curionetwork.com for more information and enjoy the rest of the show. While you guys are chilling, Karen kind of says, I know this has uh, been a lot pretty quickly, but uh, you're safe here. You can trust us. I'll be the judge of that. Karen kind of raises an eyebrow at you, but then shortly thereafter, Alvar returns with a sort of another young human man behind him and begins unloading a little basket of pots of different things, little potion containers, and he pulls out a little basin, starts mixing a few things together, and he says, uh, usually we just uh, retrieve material from the basilisk if this occurs, but in this instance we're going to have to improvise a little bit, um... Let's see if this works! And uh, he sort of uncorks a few bottles and swirls a few things around in this basin and then eventually takes sort of a, a dipping instrument, fills it up and sort of ladles it into Jody's stone mouth, which was agape in shock. And you see a sort of purple steaming potion pour into Jody's mouth and then sort of seep into the rock within his mouth. And I'm gonna say... <laughs> <laughs> That's my lucky Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> yeah, Dwayne Johnson just hanging out in this yeah, there's a little Dwayne in there. Um, I was just thinking about the way you said it, that you hit the really hard. The rock. Was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I'm going to say uh, pretty much immediately... Joe Pretty much immediately... <laughs> pretty much immediately, Jody. you're conscious, but still partially stoned. What I'm a fucking say... nightmare you've put me in. Why don't you do that? <laughs> Oh no, it's like the surgery when the anaesthetic doesn't work. Yeah, he's oh, locked stop. in. Jody is now gradually turning back into flesh, but it's a slower procedure. Just because oh, I think this is. going to be painful, just, right? No, I don't think it's painful. I well, think like, it's just sort of frustrating. When you have like a, a dead arm and the blood slowly goes back into it. Can I speak yet at all? Or is that not a, not a thing? Yeah, I'm going to say it, it <laughs> starts from your head down, and within a few minutes, your eyes and mouth and most of your head are sort of no longer stone. And I, you, you're I able think, to. Yeah, I. I, I think I think I make like eye contact with Duncan, and I'm like, Duncan, I'm I'm rock hard. I know. <laughs> <laughs> he 
He's trying so hard. Oh no, I've been thinking about that one the whole time. <laughs> no, that, that's a new occurrence. <laughs> I, I, yeah. I honestly was like sitting here being like, I'm probably not going to get to do anything this episode. So no, 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 no. You're you're now conscious. You've got you've got your mouth. Your body is just sort of slowly returning to you. Mostly just because I think that's going to be fun for the next little while. And um, can we prop him up on his feet? Yeah, totally. So you can like look around. Stand his... and look around. Yeah, yeah. So so Jody is now stood up. What do you think you guys do? I think probably as soon as Alvar sees this potion taking effect, he kind of sighs with relief and says, Oh, thank goodness. Uh, well, that was uh, sort of probably not the introduction we had planned, but uh, I, I suppose I, I may as well get on with it. I'm Alvar Nettleford. I suppose you three must be Duncan, Drasilia, and Jody. Garrick, we've met before. I'm sure you have a lot of questions. As difficult as this might be, I was going to suggest maybe what we should do now is have... Sort of a sit-down, a discussion. Uh, Might be hard for Jody. <laughs> <laughs> very, uh, very fun joke for the man that was just uh, petrified into stone, but uh, thank you very much for that contribution. <laughs> don't, worry, don't worry, Jody. Great time for you to start your uh, stand-up career. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. I think we should all sit down and, and exchange a little bit of our information to sort of get on the same page, and then I, I honestly think the best thing to do would be for you four to sleep on it, I'll, I'll collate as much information as I can. We can meet in the morning and have a real proper discussion where we dig right into it. How does that sound? So he suggests that, yeah, you, you guys kind of chat and you relay your journey so far to him and he'll sort of answer some surface-level questions before really digging into sort of a, a more full explanation in the morning after he's had time to sort of review all the information together. But why should we trust you, Alva? Oh, he's kind of taken aback by that, almost as if the notion that you wouldn't want to trust him is, is difficult for him to comprehend. He says, oh, why, um... Why would you not? Uh, I, my associates here, we work with Valeria, and, uh... I never trusted her. Ah, well, I suppose She did that. nothing but lie the whole time. I'm sure you can understand, uh, at this point, the, the nature of the information that was being protected that you guys now have a lot of access to, I assume. By the way, um, do you know where Valeria is? Uh... Garrick. I have some news for you. <laughs> <laughs> At some point in this last few minutes, thanks to the sort of careful attention of the two people attending to him, Garrick has sort of come back into a groggy sort of half-consciousness as this conversation with Alvar is, is occurring, and he chimes in here and says, uh, Alvar, we lost her a long time ago. She... We think she she may have teleported. We, we, we don't have any real reason to believe that she's dead, but, uh... She's, she's, she's gone. She, uh... Left you a message, Alva. Here you go. And I just, I show him the notebook. Uh, as you pull out the notebook, you see recognition instantly enter his eyes. He, he recognises this this piece of writing. It's, you know, Valeria's notebook. He's seen it a hundred times. He sort of reaches out slowly to take it from him and says, Oh, thank goodness. I, it's very fortunate that she was able to get this to you guys before she went wherever she went. This will, I'm sure, be most useful in unravelling this whole mess. He takes it from you gratefully and sort of thumbs through it quickly, but doesn't do a deep dive on it yet. He says, So... What do you think? Shall we shall we have a quick parlay, as it were? I um I I don't really have a choice. I I, I would prefer that because if you <laughs> if you um leave, then I will be stuck here regardless. So if you want to stick around and keep me company, <laughs> that would be terrific for me personally. I would say by this point, Jody's uh, shoulders are kind of returning to flesh, so he can kind of like wiggle those around. <laughs> oh yeah, bit. terrific. Oh yeah, well, Jody's just like shoulder dancing then, like you know, like yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He says, okay, um, well, do any of you have any sort of 
early questions for me here, or shall we jump right into your tale so far? What do you want with the pieces? Ah, terrific question. I suppose, for the most part, what we want with the pieces could be summed up in keeping them away from the king, who might want to use them for, well, shall we say, destructive ends. What makes you think he wants to use them for something? He certainly seems to be pursuing them (laughs) with quite a bit of vigour, and, uh, well, I suppose we can get into this in a bit more detail. We have reason to believe he's um, engaged in some less-than-humane actions in the pursuit of these things in the past, and we have no other explanation for why he'd be doing that other than uh, for the sake of the war. By the way, um, who's that? And he thumbs at the bound and gagged Elena, who's laying on this sort of large meeting table. She's a POW. Back to the pieces. She kind of like, <laughs> into the gag in her mouth. And he says, oh, uh, and Karen says, yes, Alva, she was um, causing trouble in Corin. Duncan decided to bring her along, I suppose. So uh, he, he kind of um, motions to these other two people who were tending to Garrick before and says, perhaps it's best if uh, our guest is not present for this discussion. And he kind of looks around at the three of you and oh, is yeah. like, yeah, I mean, I don't know what her deal is. You brought her here, but do you want her here for this? Duncan, if you could refrain from uh, decapitating her or anything like that, that would be <laughs> I have more business with her, but if you've got a holding cell, she can stay in for the moment. Well, uh, I don't know if we have a holding cell, per se. Do you have a room with a lock? Yeah, I was getting to that, yes. I mean, she's <laughs> bound and gagged. Probably just a room will do. Laura, Dimitri, uh, get get her out of here. They, they pick her up and they carry her back down that sort of inclined ramp into that corridor that you guys came in through and out of sight. And she's kind of like, mm-hmm, that her restraints the entire time. Now it's just Alvar and Chiron and you three and Garrick. Okay, I think we need to backpedal a little bit here. What are the pieces? Do you know? Ah, yes, this is part of um, the discussion I was hoping we'd have tomorrow, but uh, we can dive into that quickly now. Uh, We believe they're artifacts of great power created by the Sine, which belonged at one point to a greater whole, which may in fact have incredible destructive power. We haven't recovered any yet, but we, we do believe we have good leads on where some of them may be, and I'm kind of hoping that the information in this book, and he holds up Valeria's book, and your story might help us figure a few things out. Here's my offer to you, Alva. If you want to have this conversation, I want you to agree right now that when we find the pieces, we three keep them. That seems incredibly dangerous, I would say, uh, without fuller knowledge of what they are and what they can do, I don't know if any one person should have access to all of them. Well, there are three of us, though. That was the um, the, the three people thing. The- y- yeah, no, totally, I get that. But I feel like you're kind of a kind of a group deal over here. So uh, I can't say that that's a good idea. Oh, I barely know these people. <laughs> <laughs> she often sits out when we're trying to do well-meaning things. I don't really <laughs> trust her. <laughs> Just kind of gotten used to it. (laughs) (laughs) No, he basically says he can't make you that promise. You tell me you want to keep it away from the king. I'm happy to help with that. But I don't know you. I don't know that you don't work for the king. I don't know who you do work for. I have no reason to trust you beyond helping you keep them away from the king. Well, the king's trying to kill us and they just revived Jody. So... Also Gary. Ergo Sam... Gonna assume they're not with the king. Garrick chimes up at this point and says, Duncan, I appreciate your position, but I, I don't know Kyron, I don't know these other people. I'm 
probably only a little bit ahead of you guys in terms of understanding exactly the nature of this operation down here, but I know Alvar, and he knew Valeria, and I trust both of them. I'm vouching for it. Now, we don't know what these pieces are and what they can do, and they don't either, it seems, and I think we're all on the same page. We don't want them used for destructive ends, so why don't we start there and see where we get? How about this? Alvar, how many pieces do you reckon there are? Well, uh, again... uh, not entirely sure, but as far as we know, 12 is the, the number that's traditionally quoted in these texts. So how about this? As we go, we'll divvy them up. The three of us and you. We'll end up with three each. You don't need to worry about us as a group deal or anything, having all 12. Alva, Alva says, I think we're getting so far ahead of ourselves here. We don't have one piece. We don't know if we're going to have access to all of them. We don't know where they are or what they're doing. We need to know more about them in the first place. And the way to do it is to find these cine locations, find as many pieces as we can and and go from there. Whatever division of them seems appropriate to you, I just don't think that any one party should be in possession of all of them. Okay. That's good enough. He kind of sighs with relief a little bit. Garrick nods at him and says, Shall I begin then? Yeah, you guys can start telling your story, if that's agreeable to all of you. Yeah, I think we tell them mostly the truth, but obviously yeah. with a few, you know... Yeah, so for a lot of your journey, Garrick... Tell them the wrong. wrong location for everything that has a location. What? <laughs> okay, um, that, that's fine. So yeah, so let, let's let's go through this in detail, because this is going to be important. I, I want to talk about what specific things you don't want to tell them. There's nothing... Well, Other than, say... obviously, I exaggerate my own accomplishments. <laughs> <laughs> and downplay your failures. Yes, yeah. of course. Uh, let, let me just say this. At all of the times Garrick was present, he is pretty much truthfully relaying what occurred. For the times that he wasn't present, mm-hmm. it's up to you guys. If there's anything that you want to keep out of the story specifically, let me know. Does that mean I... that Garrick is telling him that we have the pieces? Yeah, he, he's, he mentions that you've got... Like, some stuff. I mean, I probably... I think you're all telling the story together. He's not just relaying it like, I'll tell my bit and then you tell yours. And yeah, then yeah, tell yeah, yeah. So if so we I'll... deliberately chime in and power through Sanctuary really quickly, it may not become apparent. For now, you can leave that part of the story out if you want. And I'll say, like, like Garrick starts telling the story because he's not, like, trying to hide anything. As you guys start sort of, like, chiming in, like, yeah, and then we did this and, like, very clearly trying to gloss through this part of the story. Garrick's just kind of like, uh... Yeah, what, what they said. It just kind of like casts you a confused glance. I don't mention the vision. Okay. I don't that's, these guys. That's important information. Anything else specifically omitted? I don't mention the time I put my sword up the anus of a bullet. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah, that's good. That didn't good. happen. To be fair, I never said I did it. B-Max said I did it. I said you stabbed it in the butt. You didn't have to go up its butt. <laughs> yeah. But you said there was a gash in its butt. Yeah, that yes, it's it's sword. sword. You stabbed yeah. it in the butt and you left a gash. In the cheek, dude. Oh, in the cheek. In the cheek. Not in the butthole. I fixed that so I was like, why are you doing this? That's what I was seeing. I was like, this is horrifying. Why is everybody okay with this for once? For once? <laughs> you don't let me get away with this kind of shit. <laughs> Do you want to leave out the amputation? No, I think you should know. <laughs> Do you dwell on the, um, the jump, Jody? <laughs> the intercart jump. I actually think Jody doesn't. I think Jody is feeling like fucking terrified and probably not letting on or anything, but I think he genuinely wants to go to bed. It, it, because of the stone thing? Yeah. Okay, I'll, I'll say by this point, like, sort of down to, like, near his elbows and kind of, like, mid-chest, he's turned back into flesh. No, yeah, I, I, I think, like, as, as a whole experience sort of thing, like, the whole, like, locked-in sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, it's probably pretty he, damaging. Even, yeah. even, even this, this sensation, like, Jody feels 
pretty miserable, I reckon. Yeah, okay, so when when you get to the cart thing, I think Garrett can kind of pick up on that a little bit, and he he decides to try and pump up Jody's tyres a little bit, and is like, oh, you should have seen it, Alpha. It was the most spectacular mid-air cart transfer I've ever witnessed. <laughs> 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 Cool. So that's all the all the all the salient information. I think things that certainly twig Alvar's interest that he maybe asks for a little more information about is obviously when Valeria disappears and he says, uh, "Remind me at the end of this discussion, I'll show you something interesting regarding that," and then sort of allows you to proceed. And then once you reach the interrogation bit, do you tell him about your interrogation of Esme and her disappearance? Yeah. Okay. As soon as you mention Esme, his eyebrows both rocket up to the top of his forehead. Very, very much like Whoa. that. Whoa. <laughs> like, 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 like hydraulics and shit? Like, that's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Is he, yeah, exactly. is he a robot? Yeah, yeah, he is, man. You figured it out. And then he says, Esme. Oh, goodness. Okay. I have some things to tell you about her as well, but we'll get there when we get there. Proceed. Oh, what do you know about Esme? He says, well... I haven't spoken to her in, in years, but we used to work together. Uh, Esme and Valeria and I, we used to all research together here at the university. Oh, by the way, um, we're currently under the university. If that wasn't exactly clear, these tunnel networks actually reach up into... How would uh, that have been clear? Yes, uh, my bad, my bad. It's all a bit of a whirlwind, isn't it? Uh, we used to work with her at the university. We parted on uh, less than amicable terms, and it sounds like she's now working for the king, so... Why did you part? Well, uh... This is part of the longer story I'd hope to tell you tomorrow, but suffice to say, uh, we had disagreements about the directions to take our research. She felt that we should go to the military and, 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 and propose that our research could potentially be useful for them, and Valeria and I felt that that was the wrong thing to do. So, it seems she went and did it by herself. Right. You proceed on with the story, and I guess you, you reach the conclusion, without anything else specifically twigging his interest, he's probably quite fascinated by this Elaine character, but he says... So, uh, she's your prisoner? What's your plan with, uh, the Lady Elaine, then? Like you say, she's my prisoner, so I'll deal with it. Fair enough. With your permission, unless any of you have questions for me right now, I, I would very much like to spend some time collating this information, reading through Valeria's notebook here, and did you give him the two books about the web that you had, Drazi? I had to... Ki- to Karen. Oh, that's Karen. right, yeah, Karen. <laughs> Karen passes those along. And says, and, uh, I'll thumb through these with great interest as well, and, uh... We can reconvene, well, as soon as you guys are feeling rested. Tomorrow morning, perhaps? Sure. Garrick says, yeah, I don't know about you three, but I, I feel like a rest. I think Lane, uh, the guy who made the potion, returns with a little hand trolley and kind of like, like tilts Jody onto the hand cart and like, <laughs> drives Jody off down the ramp. Al- Alba says, we don't have the best facilities down here, but we have rooms. We have rooms where you four should all be quite comfortable. Um, Do you have a gym? <laughs> he says... I can find some heavy things for you to pick up if you like, but unfortunately, no. I suggest you all get some rest. If any of you are hungry, we can see what's uh, kicking around. And he sort of starts rummaging through some some cupboards that are on the side of the meeting room. You're sort of getting the impression that this is very much not like a home. This is kind of like a lab space kind of thing. But, you know, he opens like some cupboards and like there's different foods there, dried meats, some vegetables. And he says, help yourselves, uh, make make yourselves at home. I want to impress upon you. I, I understand that... This is a lot, and that this is a leap of trust for you all. I want to make it clear, we're not trying to hold anything back. I believe you have lots of useful information in these books you've passed over, and in the story you've just told me, and I think together we can really do some good work here, and I only hope over time you come to trust us. Farewell, 
and uh, he kind of nods curtly and, and walks out of the room. He's he's not he's not a man of many words. Is Alma? He's a he's a he's a research boy. And uh, <laughs> he, he leaves. He sort of leaves, and then yeah, Lane kind of leads you guys uh, with Jody on his little hand truck down to like a, a sort of three rooms adjacent to each other, sort of off that main corridor that you came in through. And uh, you look inside, and they're yeah, just like reasonably comfortable rooms. There's bed frames in there. They don't look like they have been slept in really, like very much at all. It's good time for you guys to take a long rest if you guys would nice. like. Yeah. yeah. Rest, rest, rest me up. Shall we proceed? Yes. I think it's the next morning and you guys are fully rested and as soon as you guys are sort of feeling awake and at it, you can reconvene in that meeting room. And I'm going to say, by the time you get up there, Alvar is already there. In fact, he probably looks to you like he hasn't slept a ton. Uh, in the time you guys have been resting, he's been collating and researching. And uh, as you guys enter the room, he kind of like starts a bit in surprise and is like, Oh, um... <clears throat> I suppose it's time uh, for us to us to, to have a frank discussion. So, before I begin, do any of you have any burning questions that I didn't answer to your satisfaction yesterday? Uh, you said um, the cine, the, the, the pieces and everything, that the cine um, had created something with great destructive power. Do, do you know anything about this, or is this just a theory? Or uh, I can tell you this. We don't know what the great hole was that was created by the Cine. We don't know what it was or what it did. We do know from some of the books that Garrick brought back and uh, some of the information that you were able to pass on through your readings of uh, the hubris of Maleficus the Wise. He says, it's not a story you'd learn in Carthus University. We do know that the Cine themselves believed it to be very dangerous and were divided over the proper way to dispose of it. We also know that the king wants it very, very badly. And to that effect, we believe that we should gather as many of the pieces, which we are quite sure are pieces of this great hole as we can, figure out their capabilities and prevent them from falling into the wrong hands. Is it not better to keep them spread apart? Perhaps that will become the optimal strategy, but at the moment, we know other forces, other parties, are pursuing them themselves. So it's better we gather them up before they can be gathered by someone else, and then if we decide to distribute them to the winds, then so be it. So you haven't found any pieces yourself? He uh, looks at you, uh, and sort of a, a small smile begins to form, and he says, Well, uh... I believe this might come as something of a shock to the three and indeed four of you, because Garrick is there as well. He says, you're correct in our assumption that we believed we had not found any pieces, but I believe I can reveal with a high degree of confidence that in fact we had. The necklace Valeria was wearing, we believe now contained a piece, one of the many pieces of the Cine. And how fitting that that's where we arrive early in our discussion, because in many ways that necklace is the beginning of this whole business. And does that mean that Esme probably has one too? Quick thinking Duncan, absolutely. That's the unfortunate truth of the situation as well, yes. It seems that there's two of our twelve pieces right there, and if I don't miss my mark, I believe the three of you have recovered some of your own. He, he kind of looks around at you and says, I don't mean to take them off you, don't worry. Uh, you probably need them for the work ahead. It seems they uh, have impressive powers for your very cool weapons. <laughs> and he glances around at uh, these copper implements that you have and says, um... There's five accounted for right off the bat. I suppose the question becomes, where are the remainders? He turns your attention to a blackboard that is behind him on the wall, where he has a list. Life, death, power, knowledge, sea, sand, sky, silence, and snow. And there's a circle around life, death, power, and knowledge. And he says, these are the temples that we had heard whisperings about or, you know, vaguely confirmed uh, before Valeria found the Temple of Knowledge itself. Dude, are you doing a point break thing? Is that what's going on? <laughs> no. 
Oh my god, I'm a voice actor in an ad for still interested. I'm not doing a point break thing. Uh, I have influences, alright? I, yeah. I, I don't make that a secret. We now believe, uh, with the information that was encrypted in this handy journal, which, by the way, pretty nifty uh, ancient Cine encryption device, don't you think? And he, he holds up Valeria's journal, indicating that that was something that they found early on as well. Uh, Could be says, a piece. He says, uh, I don't believe it's a piece, but uh, for all we know about them so yeah. far, perhaps. The 12 piece. The one that could hide the words that you write. Yeah. <laughs> the most yeah, dangerous piece yeah. of them all. Yeah. <laughs> it's like invisible ink. <laughs> I believe these are the temples that we should now be looking for. It seems like, and, and I must say this sort of collates well with research I'd been doing in, in Valeria's absence, that we're kind of hot on the trail of the Temple of Sea. Uh, as far as the other ones are concerned, I have some thoughts about the Temple of Death, which I can get to shortly. I have no idea about power. It seems like you visited life and knowledge. Sand, I have some thoughts about, and the other three, Sky Silence and Snow, remain total mysteries to me for now. Okay, so, if you reckon we're closest to sea, where is it? Ha, well, good question. When I said closest, I meant closest to figuring out where it is. Not that I have a location, but uh, I believe Valeria said it herself in the notebook. I think the next course of action would be to take some of the information, carefully audited, to uh, a former associate of Valeria's, uh, Alyssa Brambles, in Hanelport. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. There's much more to tell you. Let's start with the necklace. Probably about 15 years ago now, when Valeria and I were, were younger researchers than we are now, uh, Valeria had just got her first staff position at the university, and she was researching the history and anthropology of some of the uh, ancient groups and tribes all throughout both the Kingdom of Carthus and the uh, deserts to the north. Valeria was up in uh, these small desert communities. Ah, T's got a map, yeah, so somewhere North of Sorin? Yeah, north of Sorin. Valeria was up in some of these uh, small desert communities poking around trying to take oral histories when she came upon an interesting artifact. This necklace was sold to her by a sort of junk trader at a bazaar, and uh, she was entranced by it. She'd never seen anything like it, and she felt something coming from it. She tried to get out of the junk trader where he'd found it, and... He wouldn't reveal that information. She returned to the university and it became uh, an item of some curiosity for her, sort of uh, every now and then when she had spare time, she'd try and research the markings that were on it and the strange language and try and figure out what she could. Along the way, she enlisted me and a few years down the track, uh, Esme as well. It's probably the thing from the sand place. You said it was a sand place? Quick thinking again, Duncan. Absolutely. And uh, we'll get there. But yes, I'm quite but sure. Death, power... They're not mutually exclusive from sand. This is also true, he says. Yes, so this is In one fact, of the things I think I know. I believe this will have been a relic from the sand temple, and uh, we shall return to that in not too long. I mean to tell you the story up until roughly the point that you three enter it. He sort of explains this story about how this sort of became like a passion project for Valeria. Like, you know, this was not her, like, main point of research. It couldn't be because she was, like, hired to do other research into history and anthropology. But, you know, when she had spare time, she and Esme and Alvar would kind of dig around, try and find oblique references to these things. And they eventually hit onto Sine by looking for some of these words and these markings. And they found that information, as you guys know, was very hard to find, almost as if it was sort of being hidden or restricted, and, and over time they, they dug out little bits more here and there. They dug up over the course of a couple of years ideas about temples like knowledge, death, life, and power, but they didn't know really where they were, and they heard references to these 12 pieces, and they didn't know a lot. Alva goes on to say, So for the next uh, five or so years we kind of proceeded with our research, and, and, and when we could we would look at the necklace itself. It was clear 
pretty early on that it had some kind of magical powers dormant inside it that seemed very powerful and unlike things we'd encountered before, but uh, we didn't know what they were straight away. This is the point where Esme branches off from our group. Esme decided that this seemed powerful and interesting and secret and hidden, and that maybe uh, the king and the government and the military would be interested in finding out more about it themselves. So we disagreed, she went to them, and then that was the last we kind of spoke with her about this. But uh, she was, yeah, something of a compatriot and a colleague of ours at one point, and I suppose now she's working for the other team, as it were. Shortly thereafter, a few things happened. We stumbled upon Anna Law. We don't really live down here, as I'm sure you can understand. We're trying to do this research sort of in secret, and if we didn't continue our regular lives above ground, it would certainly look very suspicious, but we keep the information that's more sensitive down here, and we, we do kick around down here when we can. But you wouldn't consider yourself cave people. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, Garrick actually, like, bursts out laughing at that particular joke. Alvitus doesn't, like, he just kind of, like, furrows his a little bit, like, what? What are you talking about? And then... Perhaps the most troubling piece of news occurred. Um, did you ever hear of uh, the raid on the monastery at Espera? No. No. Did Jody say anything to that? No, he doesn't. Just says nothing. Some ten years ago, uh, a peaceful monastery down on the southern peninsula, Espera, was, was raided and, and, and sacked and burned by a mysterious, a mysterious force who were never brought to justice, but... Troubling reports started circling shortly thereafter, which we were able to sort of investigate and corroborate that uh, the people in attendance were wearing black leather, black chain, things we know to be uh, associated with the special forces of the King's army. Jody is um, visibly shaking, just for what it's worth. But only like the top. <laughs> body. Jody's all fleshing. <laughs> oh, you had a rest. The next day. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Remember how I said I, I had some ideas about the Temple of Death? Well, that was one of the first ones that, that we got onto. It was the one that, uh, strangely enough, most information was readily available about. The Temple of Death, we believe, may have much, much later in life begun to sort of, much like uh, you guys saw the Temple of Life kind of masqueraded as a, a place for some monks, we believe a similar thing was going on with the Temple of Death in the Monastery at Espera. Somebody wanted what was inside. We believe it was the king's people, and... Uh, that was the point in time where we thought it prudent to move most of our Cine-related research down here into Analor. And since then, it's been slow going. I mean, whenever Valeria or I have had a chance on one of our research trips, we've, we've done a little bit of digging, and we found some interesting whispers of temples perhaps in the Old Wood, and temples perhaps in the Car Wood, and we were still trying to find the origin of this, this necklace, this necklace that started it all. That was the thing that consumed Valeria more than anything. Not too long before you enter the picture, uh, as you would well know, Garrick, Valeria started going on expeditions back into the northern deserts, disguised as uh, expeditions to learn more about the tribes that developed there, but really they were expeditions to, to find the origin of this necklace. And I believe eventually she did. We didn't have much time to, to talk after this. She, she sort of quickly returned to town, said she'd found something, she'd found some ruins up there, she'd engaged the services of a, a, a local uh, gang of ruffians. Who, who brought her to, to some ruins which had been stripped of all of their movable wealth, except for a scrap of parchment written in this ancient text which we've become sort of competent at decoding. She said it made mention of a person known as Elva, and some reasonably precise information about the Temple of Knowledge, at which point she and Garrick headed out in pursuit of that and uh, engaged your services, so... A person called Elva. Elva, correct. As opposed to Alva. Correct. Mm. <laughs> A-L-V-A-R, as opposed to E-L-V-A. 
Did Valeria come to perhaps have a suspicion about which piece she had? Well, at this point, we didn't know this was a piece. This was one of the things that she learned in the Temple of Knowledge. Did she write about it? Well, I think it stands to reason it will have been the piece from the Temple of Sand. This is one of the things I think I know. So there's the story so far. Temple of Sand, we believe, has already been recovered and is in, in Valeria's necklace wherever she may be. The Temple of Death, we believe, was the monastery at Espera and has been ransacked by the king's forces. Perhaps Possibly the piece Esme has. The origin of Esme's piece, absolutely. Uh, the Temple of Life, you three have visited yourself. The Temple of Knowledge, I believe, the Temple of Sea is our next best bet for getting some more information here. Uh, I, I probably but there weren't any pieces at the Temple of Knowledge. And there were three at the Temple of Life. He says, yes, absolutely. I think we'd be making perilous assumptions if we assumed it was a one-for-one kind of deal. Mm. Alva? Yes, Jody. Do you know anything about the attack on the Temple of Death? Uh, well, other than what I'd said, we believe it was persecuted by the King's special forces in pursuit of whatever lay inside the Temple of Death. Okay. I think Garrett casts Jody a, a kind of concerned glance. How's Jody looking at this point in time? Probably disquietingly still, I think. Hey, Jody, where was your monastery? Jody walks out of the room. Garrick says, Jody, where are you going? And Jody walks out. Okay. And I, I, I suppose Garrick says, uh, Well, uh, I think we just figured out where Jody's monastery was. Says, Do you think it's likely Esme led that operation? I wouldn't have a clue, no, frankly. I, I wasn't aware of how deep or what her connection was to the King's men. I knew she'd gone to speak to them. I didn't know. You don't know if she has an office or anything in the city? Heavens, no, no. Garrick says, is nobody going to go after Jody? I think Garrick gets up and walks off after Jody. Valeria, the way she uses peace to disappear, we can assume that she perhaps found a way to... Access the web, yes. I believe that may have been uh, a possibility. In fact, I believe that that necklace may have uh, been something of a a portable uh, obelisk, as they're known. Uh, I don't fully understand the mechanics of that device just yet, but... uh, it seems that that's what's happened, yes. And it seems that your pieces are what allowed you three to activate the obelisks that allowed you to travel through the web. Do you know, is there a is there a base in the city? I mean, fuck, would Duncan even know if there's a base in the city? Yeah, there's a military base in the city. Um, like a high command, totally. Alva, could you figure out a way to get me safely into the high command? I need to find out who led that attack. Alva kind of looks a bit stunned at this and says, Well, uh... We haven't finished fully mapping the tunnel system that leads to Analor. It's quite extensive. It stands to reason it might proceed further into the city. I think I'm going to go speak to Jody. As Duncan stands up from the table, you see Alva deep in thought, puzzling over the last question you asked him. As you turn and walk down the ramp to the main corridor, you nearly run headlong into Garrick, who has a look of deep concern painted on his face. He locks eyes with you and says, Jody's gone. He's not in his room. I couldn't find him anywhere. He's just gone. How to Win Loot and Influence Dragons is a production of the Curio Network and hosted by Thomas Owen, Grace Chappell, Ben McAllister, and Jackson Newsett. 
Editing by Ben McAllister. You can find details of all the music in the show notes. We've got other content on Curio, such as Odds and Ends, where Grace talks with people about the mementos they've kept and the stories behind them, or still interested, where we look at film and TV that has been rebooted or remade and try to figure out why they thought it was a good idea. Check it all out at curionetwork.com.